We are in a series called Present Future, where we've really been trying to cover our values together as a church family, what we want to be about, what we want to be about who we are. And so we've spent some time covering the values that you can see up on this banner behind me. Last week, I had just kind of a, a, a one-off message in this series where I was really asking you to consider, are you a person of consequence? Uh, are you submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that your life will have consequence, be important, have meaning, that it will matter? I know that's a phrase that we're not really familiar with. We think of consequences, not our lives mattering and being of consequence. And that's how I was using that last week. And now we're, we're shifting a bit this week, next, and the week after, up until the 21st, to just talk about um, how we order ourselves as a church family, what leadership looks like, and then what partnership within this church family looks like as well. So this morning, we're talking about elders, pastors, uh, qualifications. Who are these people? What should their lives be like? What is their purpose as Jesus has given elders to his church? So the title is Elders Serve the Church by Leading, and that's kind of the big idea this morning. I want to ask you, sometimes we dialogue if you're new with us, so this is an opportunity for you to just, from where you are, just say something. Um, I want to ask this question. Go ahead and throw it back up on the screen. It was there a second ago. According to the Bible, who is responsible to lead, care for, protect, and teach Jesus's church. How do you answer that? Who is responsible to do that? We are. Okay, somebody said we are. Somebody said the Holy Spirit. Somebody said the elect. Okay. The elders. Okay. Any other ideas? Somebody said what? Men. Okay. Have you thought about it much? Have you thought about this question? Who is ultimately responsible to care for, to lead, to protect Jesus' church? Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, open the scriptures if you have them, your app. The black Bibles around the room are for you too. Uh, page number 932, if you want to just beeline straight there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to jump over two books to a book called Titus. And we're going to look at Titus chapter 1 as well. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's saying this about um, just leading the church. He says, that this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. There's a purpose clause here. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, um, turn to the right past 2 Timothy, and then you'll come to a book named Titus. Titus also is another young pastor that at a, on a separate occasion the Apostle Paul is writing to about how to govern the church. 
And this is what Paul says to Titus. He left Titus on an island named Crete, and he said this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. I'm going to read on here, but it's not going to be the focus of what we're talking about this morning. It'll just be in the background. For there there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That'll get you canceled these days if you say something like that. This testimony is true, Paul says, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. This is God's word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, I, this morning, aim to submit myself to you, to your word. There are some things constantly in your word that are challenging. They're challenging to believe, they're challenging to live by, they're challenging to teach. And so I know there there are variable stories in this room. Would you do uh, work in in our heads, our minds, our, our hearts as well as only you can? Would you make sense of your word to us this morning? Would you bring us to clarity and confidence in it? I love you. We love you as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's the big idea this morning, and I'm going to keep pointing to this. Jesus gives his church elders who serve the church by leading the church. Jesus gives his church elders who serve the church by leading the church. Now, in our culture, Elder means a few things. There's some baggage. So just to be clear, to clear clear up a few things, we live in Idaho, the second most Mormon state in the country. We're not talking about the same things as Mormons are when they call some of their leaders elders. Mormons call their young missionaries elders. The Bible speaks of something a bit different when it refers to elder. And so when we use this term in our culture, often we can then, that people will equate us or equate this, well, aren't you guys all just teaching and talking about the same thing? And I would say, no, not at all. We're going to discover that here in just a moment. And so, well, why don't we just call our leaders something different than elder then? Why don't we just give that term over to them and move on? And I think it's worth fighting for because of the prevalence that elder is used in our New Testament. So I do not think we should give up this title. I think we should lay claim to it because the Bible speaks often of elders. And then a second way that we use elder in our culture is to describe someone who is older. 
Although I'm getting older, I'm not yet an old man, unless you're my kids, and then I'm definitely an old man. Typically, people will use the title or the word, the descriptor, elder, to describe somebody, to broadly describe somebody who is much older than them. Now, while an old man can be an elder in a local church, an elder does not have to be an old man. Paul was an elder, called into the service of Jesus in his 30s, ministering on 30s, 40s, 50s. Peter, called into service of Jesus, maybe in his 20s, going on to serve him until the end of his life. The Apostle Paul would write to Timothy and Titus, these guys, these letters that we just looked in on, and on both occasions to each of them, Paul has to say, let nobody look down on you or disregard you because of your age. Both of the T-bros here were young, and they were elders within their local church. The New Testament uses the title, uses the word elder to describe an office of leadership in the local church. That's how it is using this title, elder. And in fact, the, the Bible actually uses, the New Testament presents us with only two offices in a local church of leadership. It's elder and deacon. That's it. Those are the categories. It doesn't give us director. It doesn't give us minister. It doesn't give us some of these other titles. It gives us elder and deacon. And there's actually, you know, so this morning, just to kind of prepare, you already know because we're knee deep, but it, this is going to be a bit more technical this morning. Just as I'm, I'm talking through, I want to try to unpack like what elder is all about in the scriptures. So it might feel a, a bit more teachy than it does preaching this morning. There's actually three interchangeable words that the New Testament uses to describe an elder. It uses the, the, the word elder. It uses the word overseer. And it also uses the word shepherd, which is where we get our title pastor. The kid's not having a great morning. Hope it gets better. So we've got some more work to do around the, the, the language of elder, of overseer, of pastor. And so we're going to do that um, briefly, and then we're going to look at the qualifications of an elder, what it, what it takes to be an elder in a local church, and their task under the authority and in the service of Jesus. We need to hear this, that these are not unhinged, unleashed authoritarians, but elders are serving a local church under Jesus Christ as men who will have to give an account. So here is a brief definition, just I think a concise definition of an elder. An elder is a man who leads or oversees Jesus's people through care, through protection, and through teaching. Go back a slide if you would please. There you go. An elder is a man who leads and pastors Jesus' people through care, through protection, and through teaching or formation. This is all uh, big, big picture stuff this morning, but we're going to dive into um, New Testament Greek for just a moment, just so that we can start to unpack a little bit of this. Now you can advance to the next slide. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, um, the, apostle, uh, the apostle Peter here is using these three words for elder interchangeably here. 
He says, so I exhort the elders, the presbyteros. That's where we get our word Presbyterian from. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now he, he tells these elders to do something. Shepherd, poimano, poimeno, the flock of God that is among you. So he's using that word shepherd there as a verb, not a title. But he, and he wants you to exercise, he wants these elders to exercise oversight. This word, episkopos. Not under compulsion, that's where we get our word episcopalian. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock, to the people of God. And when the chief shepherd, this archipoimen, the, the ark pastor, Jesus, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we see th these, these different words that the Apostle Peter is using to describe this office of leadership and kind of what they do in a local church. It's interesting to me that only two times uh, in the New Testament, only two times the New Testament uses the word pastor or poimen as an office. The majority of times the New Testament uses the word pastor, it's to describe a function. It's to describe something that a leader does, shepherds. So you saw at one time here that Je it refers to Jesus as this ark poimen, this ark shepherd. The other time occurs in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, to describe shepherd teachers, the poimen didaskos. So you don't have to worry about any of the Greek here, but primarily, this is what I want you to hear and understand. The word pastor is used primarily as a verb, not as a noun in the New Testament, something that a leader does. So Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. That's actually one office there, not two, based on the Greek, that, that word and conjoins them. So there's shepherd teachers. He, he gave them to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, uh, we'll, we'll be done with some of the, the Greek here in just a moment, but there's one other occurrence in the New Testament where these three words come together interchangeably, and I want you to see it. It's in Acts chapter 20. So what the Apostle Paul does uh, towards the end of his ministry is he's been living with the Ephesians and ministering to the Ephesians for quite some time, and uh, he, he sends word to them. He's not with them at the moment, but he sends word to them, and he calls these elders around him, and he says this. Now, now Luke tells us this in Acts. Now, for from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders, the presbyteros of the church, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said this, skipping ahead to verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he calls the elders, and now he's saying the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he has done so for this purpose, that you would care for, poimano, that you would shepherd the church of God, which Jesus obtained with his own blood. Here's the point. I don't want to belabor you too much. These three, these three words do not describe three different roles or titles, but three functions of the same office. We can call our primary leaders elders. We can call them overseers. We can call them pastors or shepherds. But... 
because of the culture that we live in and the English that we use, every single one of them needs some explanation if we use them in our culture, right? Like you start using the word overseer and people are like, who, like that sounds a bit cultish. Probably not wise in our culture to just start calling me your overseer. Oh my gosh. Now, elder is another word that it gets mixed up with, like we see, it gets mixed up with Mormonism or cultural appropriation and how we typically will use that word. And pastor is problematic too because it is so widely used across the board that, that there's all kinds of definition and baggage already wrapped up into it the moment we begin to use it. I use this example a lot. When I, when I meet people and we have you know, the, the little exchange around, hey, what do you do? What do you do? And I tell them that I'm a pastor, the conversation all, nine times out of 10, it's rare and it surprises me when it doesn't change. But the conversation usually always changes. The temperature changes because they have in their minds an idea of who I am and, and what I do. And so they'll just like, if they've been cussing, they'll just start apologizing immediately for cussing or they'll shut down or like there's just an, a range of different, um, different interactions that I have when I tell people I'm a pastor. That's because they have an idea already of what it means. And so we've got to do some work with the words. The, the, one, the word that I've used, that I've continued to use, and the word that I prefer is elder. And the reason that I, that I appreciate it and that I... That I I use this title is because of how frequently it is used in the New Testament. Now, one thing, one problem that elder can bring up in addition is an idea of a board member too. Right? You think of like a detached board that's just kind of a board of directors, but not really with the people of God. But elders, biblically defined, are shepherd teachers who lead and oversee the church by serving the church. One author says that elders must smell like the sheep. The shepherds must smell like the sheep. When you're with a group of people, when you're in a home, when you're in Starbucks, you smell like the place, right? And elders must have um, the kind of exposure and presence among the people that, that where they are known. So not a detached board member. Elders are pastors, pastors are elders. Elders are overseers, overseers are elders. Remember, the New Testament uses these three words interchangeably for this office, and around here we use elders. So who is an elder and what does an elder do? An elder primarily shepherds the flock, the people of God who the Holy Spirit has assembled together. And so here is a sub point to my main point. Elders are given to the church to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. There are going to be occasions where you serve me and where you serve your local elders, but primarily my responsibility is to serve the church, not be served by the church. Let's look at some qualifications for eldership. In the New Testament, we've got primarily three descriptive lists that just show these qualifications. When we started, we read the first two out of 1 Timothy, and then also out of Titus. We have another description that we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, and there's actually kind of another a fourth one in Acts chapter 20. So we've already this morning been exposed to all of these texts. Now, here is one thing that, uh, that is surprising and may be surprising to you about elders in the New Testament and in the list of qualifications. 
There is only one skill required for an elder in a local church. All of the rest of the qualifications are character-based. They're about character. The one thing is teaching. An elder must be able to teach. But all of the rest of the qualifications for an elder in a local church is character-based. It's about who a man is. So we're going to look briefly at uh, the majority of elder qualifications and the implications that result. Now, I've got like, I've got five sermons in my head around eldership, and I'm aiming to give you one that's concise and that gives big picture this morning. So if you want to talk about any of this stuff at any point, we can definitely do that. Um, primarily, I'm going to lean on 1 Timothy chapter 3 and then Titus also. Um, this morning through this list. And this is actually lifted. Go to, go to the next slide, if you would. Um, I don't know how well you can read it behind me, but this is a screenshot right off of our website. And that's why I'm using it this morning and haven't reformatted it. It's right off of our, our website. Biblical elders are to pursue integrity and godly character. This means that, that biblical elders, pastors, are to be above reproach. Another qualification is that they're to abide in loving faithfulness and good stewardship in their original marriage. They're to be the husband of one wife or a one-woman man. Now, get ready for an unpopular opinion because I'm going to bring it to you this morning. I think the Bible presents it. There's a sticky issue with this in our culture. And there's a piece of me that uh, I, don't, I don't know if I wrote on my notes that I hesitate to wait in here, but I don't know if it's actually like a hesitation as much as it is a caution. I just, I want to be careful and I want to do justice here because half of this room is female. And I want to speak to you and I, I want to speak to you with care. It takes time. There's nuance here. And so a Sunday morning, I'm not going to be able to cover all of that. But there are a number of churches and denominations who elect women to be pastors and to be elders. This is called, in the broader, in broader church culture, this is called egalitarianism. And there are a number of arguments for egalitarianism that are, that are persuasive and especially persuasive on the surface. But as I talk about this this morning, ladies, I want you to, to, to hear this. If this topic pricks you, if it causes questions within you, if it causes pain within you from previous church experiences or just or, or something in you, I want you to know that you do not just have to be quiet and accept it in order to thrive here. Ladies, are you hearing me? I want you to know that we can talk about it. I want you to know that we can talk about this, that you can challenge this, that you can raise questions that you have. I just need you to know that I am going to start with the passages that are most clear in the scriptures and then work out to the passages that are less clear. That's just a good hermeneutic of biblical interpretation. It doesn't matter if we're in a passage like this or a passage otherwise. We're going to start with the passages that are most clear and then we're going to move out into passages that are less clear. 
in all of the New Testament passages regarding elders, overseers, pastors, using those three words interchangeably, the classes of nouns and verbs used are all masculine in the New Testament to refer to an elder, overseer, pastor. I know that's not a slam dunk. I, I, that's just like, that's the premise that I'm standing on. I don't have enough time to unpack that this morning. But additionally, every apostle that Jesus chose was male. And every church elder referred to in the New Testament is male. And church history for the first four centuries at least follows suit. Are males better than women? No. More godly? Nope. More competent? Yep, you said it. Nope. I continue to be discipled and shaped by exceptional women. My wife is one of them who's regularly speaking into my life and teaching me. The best arguments for male elders is not rooted in gender strengths at all, but in the order of creation. God created male and then female. Husbands are to be the heads of families under the rule. You've got to hear this loud and clear. Under the rule of Jesus Christ. Wives are called to gladly follow a man's godly lead. Does this or should this order extend out into secular society? I'm not convinced that this order of male first should extend into secular society. Are female uh, CEOs and executive directors incredible? Yes. There are some of you in this room. Uber competent? Yes. Community leaders? Yes. So for me, as I'm just speaking on this topic, there is a good degree of mystery here for me in God's design. I see it in the scriptures, and I don't fully understand it in all of the ways that it plays out. I just, I want you to know, like, that's where I'm at on this topic as I am continuing to be shaped. So I just want to reiterate that if there are things that you want to talk through, if there, there's pushback, there's questions, like I'm not just going to see you as somebody who's just raising concern and try to put you off. I want to spend time and try to work through the things with you so that I can come to a better understanding as well. But you are not going to meet a brick wall who's just going to say, if you want to get along here, you just need to submit and get with the program. I want us to be able to talk through it with Bibles open. That's a key word. Elders are to manage their households well, managing families and children with all dignity because if they can't manage their own households, how will they care for God's church? These are talking through character qualifications. Elders are to cultivate minds in ourselves that are governed by the scriptures, by prayer, and by the Holy Spirit. We're to be sober-minded. We are to... Uh, eagerly consent to the will of God in our way of life. That is to say, we are to be self-controlled. We're to live respectably by all who know us. Respectable. Elders are committed to loving strangers, to loving friends and enemies and making space for them willingly. This is what it means to be hospitable. 
Elders are to practice self-control as they partake or choose not to partake of alcohol, not a drunkard. Elders are to practice violence, neither in word or deed. So this means they're not to be violent, but gentle, nor are elders to be prone to divisiveness or quarrels. Elders are to correct opponents with gentleness and reason, asking forgiveness of anyone that they have harmed quickly. That's what it means not to be quarrelsome. There's a Swahili proverb that says this, when the elephants fight, the grass is trampled. Have you ever been a part of an organization where the leaders are just fighting at each other? People get wounded. Quarrelsome people have the, the capacity to destroy churches. To, elders are to practice generosity with money and possessions, not a lover of money, not greedy for gain. Elders are to be alert, to be organized and skilled in cultivating order as they lead their family. This is what it means to manage a household well. Elders are to be men of faith, mature faith, having their faith tested in time and experience, which means not a recent com convert, but humble. And finally, elders are to be respected by those outside the faith and those in proximity to his life. Neighbors, coworkers, friends, etc. thought of well by outsiders. So if you're a jerk at work, but you're the holy guy in the church crowd, there's something off. You're a hypocrite. You're to be thought well of by outsiders as well. So all of life, church, family, you are, you must hold me and your elders accountable to this, to these qualifications. You must require this of anyone who you choose to support as your pastor. The integrity and health of Jesus' church is at stake, and his reputation in our community is at stake. Listen to this quote from a South African pastor. There's no place in the ranks of elders for those who suppose they can shepherd in a way that Jesus didn't. Without startling loss to earthly ambition and carnage to our natural desire. A call to eldership is a call to come and die. In essence, biblical elders are to be gospel-gripped men who are simultaneously tender and tough. And so what this means is that eldership is an exposed position. There, there, there will be attacks. There are often times where um, our work is to try to discern family from foe at times. Character, like courageous men of high character are required. And so men in the room, I want to ask you, is that you? Is that you? The character of your elders is vital to your church because the, the character of Jesus is vital to our souls. And so where men display the character of Jesus Christ, submission, honor, loyalty becomes easier. Not always easy, but easier. And so humility in your elders is a must. It produces strength of character that is non-negotiable. I'm not saying that I'm humble. I'm saying that by the strength that the Lord Jesus Christ provides, I'm in pursuit of that, but I'm looking for him to produce it in me. And so too, should you look for this from your elders. It's from these qualities that an elder can skillfully 
shepherd a church. And so here's my second sub-point. Remember, Jesus gives his church elders to serve the church by leading her. And one of the ways that the elders lead a church is by shepherding the church. This means that the elders are to give, are, are to be with the church, smell like the people that they're around in order to provide care. So the Apostle Paul Rather, Peter, in in 1 Peter 5, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He says this to the elders, Shepherd the flock of God, quote, that is among you. So detachment is not okay. Now, we are people leading our own families, and there are moments when we have to push away from the table in order to minister to those who are our first priority. Just because you have an emergency doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to leave my family, abandon my family in order to be present to you, but it might mean that at times. The point is, is that we are supposed to be among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not being made to do it, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being, quote, examples to the flock of Jesus. Elders who shepherd well are men of prayer, interceding regularly for the people of God, modeling prayer, teaching people how to pray. This is a primary piece in the job description of an elder, part of a way that an elder is an example to the church by leading the church to pray. Elders additionally are counselors. This is a teaching element too, but through their own dependence on the scriptures can offer counsel and wisdom to members of a local church. Elders are to be gentle like Jesus, not, not damaging those who are bruised, who are beaten, who are wounded by life. Again, elders are to be examples to the local church. So elders lead the church by shepherding, by providing care. Elders also lead the church by teaching the church. Now, Part of the teaching skill for an elder is it, it comes in the ability to warn Jesus' people and when ward off false teachers, but it also comes in, in just teaching and helping to see the people of God formed in the ways and the way of Jesus. And so um, we often will limit um, teaching as we read must be able to teach immediately where our minds go typically is, well, I've got to be able to stand up here in front of a group of people and preach and teach. And if I can't do that, or if that terrifies me, then I'm not equipped to be an elder. And I just want to like, I want to explode that uh, framework for seeing the teaching gift. Teaching occurs in all kinds of environments. If you are terrified at getting up here to teach, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not qualified to be an elder. So the point of the teaching skill is actually twofold. There's two sides to the coin. One is offensive and one is defensive. One, you teach and you feed the people of God with God's word. And another one is you defend against false teaching and you hold people accountable. So you can teach proactively, offensively in gospel communities and one-on-one discipleship settings and special workshops and counseling scenarios. All of those are teaching environments. But you cannot, we cannot minimize the teaching gift just because the majority of it's about character and only one piece in two different passages says that, that we must be able to teach. We cannot minimize the teaching gift. Now, some guys have character for days on end, but they can't teach for the life of them, right? They're just tying knots every time they open their mouths. Deacon then is what the spirit may have for this man. 
Elders, um, the flip side of this coin, the protection coin, lead the church by protecting the church. And so um, part of, like I said, the, the teaching skill comes about in the ability to warn Jesus' people and ward off false teachers and false teaching. Now, I get some people saying some kooky stuff sometimes. Just, you do too in the workplace and wherever else that you're living your life. People say some really kooky things. And so I have to, an elder has to know and and be willing to learn um, how to communicate what God's word says. It's rarely comfortable. It often requires courage, often requires obedience when it's the last thing that I want to do. But an elder's primary skill on behalf of the church is teaching to clearly and to competently teach the Bible, to apply the gospel, and to refute those who contradict it. And so in short, an elder must love the scriptures and love to feed the church with the scriptures because it's not my ideas and my intellect and my logic that builds you up and nourishes your soul. It's God's words to you that does all of that work, period. Now, Here's my last point this morning. Elders must want to serve the church by leading the church. The qualifications for an elder do not begin in my mind and my heart. Men, they begin in your mind and your heart. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Look where that is. It's aspiration and desire. I don't get to put that on you. In fact, the Bible, the script, the New Testament warns us against me putting that on you and pushing you out into eldership. It says that you should not become an elder under compulsion. Just because I think it would be good for you does not mean you should do it. You must want it. It starts here and here in you. Is this you? Remember, though, perfection is nowhere in these passages as a qualification. Every man is in the process of becoming mature in Jesus Christ. Everyone, men and women, have flaws. And so perfection is not the qualification, but dependence upon Jesus Christ is. An elder's end game is to see the character of Jesus formed in every person possible. That's the end game. We want to see the character of Jesus formed in as many people as possible. That's it. Like, that's what we're aiming for, that we may present you mature in the sight of God, Colossians 1.28. That we would see you conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, Romans 8.29. That we would see you built up into the full stature or maturity of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4.13. We want this for you because Jesus's end game for you is to see his character formed in you. And he has given his local churches people who are submitted to him working on your behalf. And so what else is it other than discipleship that an elder is called to do? An elder is a chief disciple maker in a local church. Now, for me, 
One incredible reward of this stewardship is getting a front row seat to be able to see some of your transformation and change, to see the light bulbs come on, to see repentance take place in your lives, to see families come back together, to see men apologize to wives for the damage that they've done, to see people reorient their life and learn to begin to equip their own family. Like there is so much good that happens that I just get to see because of my position, because of my title, because of my role. I just, I get to see it. You've invited me in and it is wonderful and it is a reward of eldership. And so ultimately, here's where I'm gonna land the plane. Elders are Christians worth following and imitating. At the end of the day, elders are Christians who, followers of Christ, who are worth following also and imitating. The Apostle Paul, all over his letters, would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. The level of a a character that a church's elder shows is what every Christian should aim for. And yeah, many of us have histories and stories, stuff in our past that may disqualify us or on the surface seem to disqualify us from eldership, but there is nothing that ever disqualifies a person from desiring to have the character of Jesus Christ formed in us. Nothing. So men in the room, women in the room, men, are you, like, does this do something in you? You want to know more. You want to learn more. You, 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 there's some itch going on. The very first person that you should ask if you are married is the female who you have given your life to. The very first person. Like as you read through these lists, as you read through these qualifications, do you see this in me? How do you experience me? What are some of the strengths? What are some of the weaknesses? What do I need to know? What do I need to see? Next week, we're going to talk about deacons and who deacons are and what deacons are for in the life of a local church. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about what membership or meaningful partnership looks like as a church family. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, uh, I recognize the, the, the technical aspect of this, and I also recognize that you mean to shepherd and govern your people by a means. And so you use the undeserving to carry out your will among your people. And there are so many times because of our fallen nature that we fall short of your standard and we hurt and we wound. Would you teach the men of your church in this body and in other fellowships, would you teach us what it looks like to repent and to follow you and to humbly submit ourselves to you? and to one another. There's a lot more that can be said about eldership here, but send your church on a path to to discover from reliable sources, particularly your word, what they should require of their local church leadership. Help them to understand and to come to conviction. And where there's just hurt and harm in the past around this topic, where it's bringing to light a whole host of pain that might be there. Would you, would you uh, heal those wounds in your time? And would you walk your people gently forward? I know that you will, Jesus. In your name, amen.